June 20th, 2017. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenfloor. Hey, we're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. And if you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. This week, Chip has brought... Oh, boy. Chip has a whole cooler that he's walking into the studio with a whole thing. Oh, there's baggies. There's a knife. Oh, he's... Oh, boy. Chip, Here you go, Steve. Chip has purchased bottles of Zima, the refreshing citrus beverage. S- Steve, Zima hasn't been available for many years yet. It's been like 20 years, right? Uh, I guess so. Maybe, maybe maybe 10. Maybe 10? Maybe less. Maybe and less. now you've got a bag of Jolly Ranchers. So, you know, it's it's summertime, Steve, and it's time to get things started. And this is the thing. This Normal people... At one time. At one time, they took a Jolly Rancher, they unwrapped it, and they put it into a bottle of Zima, and this was a thing that people did. Steve, I, I don't know if they ever did this. Um, but <laughs> but you did. But somebody did. No, it's it's such a a, a weird, weird um, soft drink that is actually beer. It's actually malt liquor. Yeah. So uh, if we think about liquor, we usually think of Colt 45. Right. With Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Williams. Um, or the bull running through the, um, you know, whatever area you are. Wherever you're at, whatever bar you're Schlitz at. Schlitz liquor? The Schlitz. Oh, Schlitz. I had a Schlitz neon sign growing up, and I brought it here to this house, and when the guy was building my basement that we're in right now, the yeah. studio that we're in right now, he dropped a piece of wood on my neon sign. Well, Schlitz was probably the best-selling American beer, maybe in the 70s. Okay. And they changed their formula and just derailed their entire uh, beer operations. Um, I mean, they were the Budweiser for many, many, many years. But what ended up happening is probably malt liquor, the the bull, was probably their best-selling beer, maybe all the way through the 80s. Then, um, you know, so we had Colt 45, Cobra was Anheuser-Busch's version. And then um, they decided they were going to make a, a beer that tastes like soft drinks, which is uh, Zemo. That's that's basically the the what ended up happening. So here we so are. Cheers. We got we went with the blue Jolly Rancher. I, do, I don't know any better. I went with the red one. Okay. Uh, I think I only had red. We should try. I haven't had this beer. I probably had in my life maybe three of these. So this is the fourth. Here we go. Yeah, that's uh, that's a thing. Tastes like soft drink. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's it's sort of like a there's a liquor flavor in there. A bad. I mean, I, this is not a great tasting beer. No, but but it's they, there's not a lot of flavor to it. And uh, if if you wanted to say that an entry beer to the world of beer, maybe this could be. You it. think you think that's what you can hand a guy and say, "Here, you've I, never had a beer before. Here, try this." I'm not talking about you. I would be talking about if you were 13 year old okay. Steve Foder. All right, and 13 um, year old Steve Foder was like with the neighborhood kids. See, that was um, Bartles and James wine coolers for this, us. This, this was right around that same time. Okay. So, what do we have? We have a beer that they basically took the flavor out of. Uh huh. It's got kind of a it's light, got a sugary, sweet soda sort of taste, sort of. It certainly um, would not make you feel good after drinking a lot of them. Well, what's it? Four percent? It's five percent alcohol by volume, so that's it's that's liquor. relatively light beer. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. generally. I, I I drink a lot of very heavy, very dark beers. So Well, well there you go. So <laughs> as you're listening to us um, record, we've got our uh, Zimas out. Summertime. 
It's our summertime beer, uh, available for a short period of time. Uh, you know, right, right for, for limited for the release. Look, it says right there, limited release. Oh yes. Well, congratulations, Zima. Good job. So, well, well done. There you go, Steve. <laughs> you had a whole prop bucket. I was like, oh, we're, we're gonna do prop comedy this morning. That's where I had the eyes. Okay. Excellent work, Chip. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Speaking of funny things, we saw Rift Tracks Live, the Summer Shorts Beach Party last week. We, God, I love Rift Tracks. I have given those guys so much money. They have given me so much joy. All right, so if you missed it with us on Tuesday, you actually can watch it this week. On it's the- on again tonight. There you go. Yeah, go to your local theater. Fathom Events brings these things from wherever they are to you via satellite. They're great. So after um, this review, you, you may, as far as I'm concerned, you may not have such a high... Uh, hopes for this. This was um, really, really odd short films. Mm-hmm. And these are most, let's make sure I get back to this, educational films, I don't know, films meeting quite some kind of criteria. Safety films, the, these short films, these meant for a small audience, usually in education. and uh, they, They're struggling to find these right now. They are really struggling. This is their 300th short was in the middle of this one. So they've done so many of these, and they've done some great ones. And, and if we think about how our recordings have evolved over the years, you know, some of these were, I don't know, somebody sitting down and writing a script, mm-hmm. maybe a script during that day. Some of the more elaborate ones were the GM one, where they were selling automobiles in the early 60s. And dishwashers and refrigerators and, and the conveniences of the, the, of the, the time. The lifestyle yes. that you could have. Yes, you could have a dinner party. <laughs> and nobody could be there, but they'll eat up all the fo- uh, food and, <laughs> and, and all drink up all the champagne. And the cigarettes are left behind from the party. That was a very strange short. This was a very strange collection of shorts. I agree with you. They are really getting to the bottom of the barrel with some of these shorts. There were some that were really fun, though. Tell us about our favorite one. Our favorite one was called Sentinels of Safety. And this is a safety short where they explain to you how you should be safe in your home, how you know the, the Army and the Navy and the firemen are there to protect us. And we can be protected by all these people if we are smart enough to not clean our clothes with kerosene. That was, uh, that was absolute, odd. Oh, that was... Uh, it, it was it was like the goofy um, I don't know infomercial props of all the people doing things wrong. Yes, it's like Steve's washing his his clothes with kerosene right by an open flame. Yeah, you don't have to do that. Uh, <laughs> and the line in there was, "That's a good way to die." It's like, <laughs> really? That's a good way to die? Being on fire? Now, um, we also had probably the worst one ever. And they called it correctly on this. Uh-huh. There was a rhythmic ball uh, movement. Rhythmic ball movement was the title of this short. All right, so there's red dodgeballs, you, you uh-huh. see. Uh, that's that's what it was for. Uh-huh. They, they absolutely called this correctly. Somebody had some grant money. They needed to use it. This was from the early 70s. Uh-huh. My immediate thought is if you can think of the cartoons of the early 70s where, um, you know, the Super Friends or Scooby-Doo, where nobody, there's no bad guys, just misunderstood right. scientists, there's no misunderstood actual people. actual evil happening. There's right. no actual intent of being bad. There's just misunderstandings. So I, I, my assumption is the grant money was we need uh, athletic things to do, mm-hmm. which certainly were, that's very loosely right there. Very loose. Um, that there's no real competition mm-hmm. as part of. That it's there for movement. And I'm telling you, it is 
awful. This it, is an awful short. There's five or six little boys and girls dressed in their best. It doesn't end. And it doesn't end. It's just one scene with, with different kids in and out, and they just move the ball around their bodies in different ways, bounce the ball in different ways, and the scene never changes. It's this one shot. I'm, imagine basketball skills that there are no basketball skills to do. That's, that's basically what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and then we also had the one with the raccoon, which is uh, was super special. They they moved into a home, and my God, there's a ghost. There's a furry that lives in your home dressed as a raccoon. That they call a bear, and they all laugh about. Right, the whole time. The whole time, the joke is the kid keeps calling the raccoon a bear, and the raccoon goes, no, son, I'm a bear. Here, l- here let me demonstrate. I have a picture of a bear and a raccoon. I'm a raccoon, not a bear. And at the end, he says... Uh, by the way, I'm a bear. The Brady years were certainly a very strange uh, uh, group of years in, in the in, in education, American. <laughs> in, in communication, in entertainment, and these shorts are certainly a part of that. Riff tracks are great. They're, they're collection of shorts. They have over 300 of them now. You should go to their website, rifftracks.com, and pick some of those up. We want to thank our friends at Riff Tracks and our friends at Fathom Events for the opportunity to see these terrible movies. Steve, did you say anything else this I week? I did. I finally got a chance to see Wonder Woman this dun, week. Dun, 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 dun. And it didn't have the music. That was the one thing. I was like, I want Linda Carter to just be sitting in a cafe somewhere, Pele style. Just look at the camera and go, hey. I, I just wanted Linda you, Carter. You wanted to have Stan Lee as Linda Carter. Right. I wanted. Well, this is DC, but that's okay. I wanted Linda Carter. I wanted that music, that 70s Wonder Woman music is so awesome. But it took place in World War One. I. I know. All right. Did you, did you enjoy it? I... I enjoyed this movie. This is a good movie. I like this movie. I don't rave about it like it's a lot of people have really said this is a wonderful movie, a Wonder Woman movie. No, none of these movies are going to last time. I agree. Uh, you know, 100 years from now, these are all disposable films. But it's a very good one for... Mm-hmm. The disposable films. It's like the Marvel films. You kind of watch the serial and moves forward. It is a good disposable film. It's it, When you said that it's kind of like Captain America, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I like this about as much as I like Captain America, which wasn't very much. I did not enjoy Captain America as much as a lot of people did. I look back and I think about like Indiana Jones, that adventurer. That's a different level, though. Yeah. Okay. That's we're, a we're different di- thing. And, and while Indiana Jones... You know, you could say as a serial, and it's turned into a serial. It, it that's much more of a different type of serial. That was that adventure kind of echoing from I don't know the things way before our time, so things that our grandparents may have watched well, at the movie theater. Well, that's why World War One came in on this. I think is is we were looking at something outside of our time and outside of our parents time this is something that we can look at from that focus instead of the 70s wonder woman linda carter running around and and working with computers and you also watched another one yeah i I finally got a chance to see x-men apocalypse i think that came out you know christmas time last year yeah it was a long time ago and uh i finally got a chance to see it i like this movie a lot i liked you it did. i liked it better than wonder woman again the reviews dun, 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 dun. the reviews on oh, wonder I, woman I, in fact i don't even know the x-men cartoon uh theme i can kind of picture it yeah, in my it's, mind it's in there somewhere dun, i can't think of it <laughs> doesn't really matter i enjoy the x-men comic a lot. I enjoy these characters. I love a team of superheroes. Mm-hmm. And so the team of superheroes that is the X-Men in the comics, in the cartoons, I've enjoyed those all the time. I enjoyed this movie. I liked the bad guy. 
The first mutant. The first mutant, played by Oscar Isaac, who is Poe from Star Wars, Chip. Oh, yes. Star Wars. Well, there you go. And so I, I enjoyed this movie. This is a fun action-adventure, blowing stuff up, no real reason for it, and no consequences to it. There's there's things that happen, and, and that's it. I, yeah, I, 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 if I remember properly, it's not that I didn't like, I didn't, I disliked it, and, I, and maybe I said I kind of liked it. I don't think. Once again, this, there's, this is not going to be one for the ages. Right. Uh, this certainly isn't Raiders of the Lost Ark. This isn't Star Wars seventy seven. It's just part of. It's you go there it's and the you go. Story. Wow! Look at all this spectacular all the stuff. special effects. The special effects are amazing. We we can do so many things with special effects now. It is stunning. Which brings us to our movie of this week, which is Transformers The Last Night. Oh, Steve, Steve's happy about this. I love this. the Transformers movies. They're awful. They are just... just they're, they're awful. Huge, enormous robots fighting, and the people are going, ah! But we have the science, we have the technology to make it so believable now. I don't look at any of the Transformers movies and go, oh, there's a green screen. Oh, he's acting with a green screen. It just works for me. I, I, I know that they're not doing well because they keep upping the actors that get to show up in these films. <laughs> okay, let's do the list. The list of actors in this movie. Mark Wahlberg. Marky Mark. And the Funky Bunch. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Of course. Is featured. He played Odin. He can play in any of these he's films. He's ready. Though. We've got Sophia Miles. Those of you who don't know Sophia Miles, she was the girl in the fireplace in Doctor Who, and uh, she could be in any movie she wants. And, and a whole bunch of others. And Stanley Tucci, John Turturro, and John Goodman are all featured in this film. All right, the Roseanne guy himself. Yeah, they they make a lot of money. The Transformers movies, whether you like them or not. And they this do, is, and they particularly do well overseas. Absolutely. This is definitely into that kaiju guy in a suit fighting a big robot. Mm-hmm. sort of lifestyle, which I love. I love Godzilla movies. It, I love these Transformers movies. Is this the type of thing you get to a film? Do you, would you get to the theater to see? I will probably see this one in the theater, and here's why. I rented the last Transformers movie from the Redbox this week, mm-hmm. and they gave me $5 off of the next Transformers movie for giving them $1.50 to rent the last Transformers movie. Well, there you go. We also have a whole bunch of smaller films coming out this week. But they look good. They look They look. Interesting. The first one is The Beguiled. This is a girls' school in Virginia during the Civil War. This is written and directed by Sofia Coppola, and there's a twist. Oh, no. Oh, boy, is there a twist. Let me tell you, do not cross Nicole Kidman and uh, these students. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch this trailer, you will see what we're in for with this movie. I'm sure that it's much, much more in-depth than the trailer gives us because Sofia Coppola gives us some interesting things to think about. This looks like a good one. Looks like Stephen King's Misery-ish. Very similar to Misery. Very good. The next one's called The Bad Batch. This, boy. This is a Tarantino feel to this. Yeah. And uh, let me go ahead and sell this to you. It's a story about cannibals. (laughs) In Texas. Texas cannibals in a wasteland and just survival. Yeah. I, uh, we don't need another hero. Movie. I mean, this is definitely looks looks odd. Yeah, I don't think I could sit through this one in a theater. It's a uh, cringy, like a, kind of a cringy it, kind of a thing. Well, like I said, kind of um, a Tarantino feel. Yeah, very much. So those of you who love those sorts of movies, it's, it's available for you. I think the one that we're going to see this week is called The Big Sick. 
this is a modern romance, romantic comedy. Uh, you've got the Pakistani man and the American girl, and then she gets sick, and does he have any rights to be in the hospital with her? And uh, It's got Ray Romano in it. Ray Romano, and Holly Hunter. It, it looks really funny. And it is funny, because um, they're basically asking this Pakistani gentleman to answer all the questions, and he's like, well, wait, I'm just a person. Anyway, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Um, and, and it looks fun. It looks charming. So if you, if you would like to see it, look at the trailer. It looks fun. Yeah, it's a fun trailer. Good Fortune is a documentary of John Paul DeGioria. You might know him from Paul Mitchell Hair Products and Patron Tequila. Exactly. Now, this is a documentary. This is about his life. He was a homeless man at one point, and he sold pretty much everything mm -hmm. uh, at some point. And this is about ra the rags to riches type thing. Uh, and just sort of enjoying or, or just recognizing the blessing that could be available to you here in the United States if you'd like to take advantage of it. Yeah, we've got opportunities here in this country. There's no doubt about that. We just have to find the right people to be working with and the right opportunities. John Paul DeGioria has done that, and it looks like a very interesting documentary. There is a sci-fi pick of the week called Entropy, and uh, this one... It's, it says it's available on the Internet. Okay. And so we don't have a trailer for it, but it does say it will be coming out Friday. And this looks really kind of interesting. Another one of those time travel, hard living, you know, finding the way to survive and find salvation amongst all of the, the warring peoples. There you go. There Enjoy you go. that. It's sci-fi. You know, sci-fi. Brings us to our book at our book of the week, and we are so proud to bring in author J.F. DeBow. His new book, A God in the Shed, is available right now on our Amazon store, amazon.toomuchscrolling.com. Good morning, J.F. How are you? I'm all right. I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm fantastic. It's all going well. Nothing's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I measure a day. <laughs> well, let, let's let's talk about JF for a while. This is your second book. It's called A God in the Shed, and things are going really well with you with sales on this one, isn't it? Well, it, it depends. Like I'm, I, I still have a forty-hour-a-week day job that I need to do. I still need to 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 remain a, a a marketing director by day so I can be a writer by night. And and in fact, I I need to sort of be. The, the writing, the, the, the marketing director, so I can finance the book, yeah. if you will. Because I'm discovering that writing a book, if you want to be serious, involves more travel than I wanted to do. Oh, sure, yeah. sure. It's about writing the material and getting everything together. But then the promotion part of it, it's the, the tour. <laughs> At yeah, least the exactly. podcast tour. At least going around to all the podcasts and talking to a bunch of people about this. It's weird because most people think podcasting is something you do through the internet, but you really need to be in person. Mm -hmm. It helps. It helps to be in person, but it works all right over the internet as well. The press the flesh. That's right. Press the flesh. All right, so let's get to A God in the Shed. This is a really good book. Chip and I have both been reading it, and we enjoy this book a lot. Thank you so much for writing this book, first of all. Okay, no, let's back up. I thank you guys. Like this is this is one of the weird things I'm confronted. People thanking me for writing the book. You guys don't understand. This book wouldn't be in your hands if people like you hadn't pre-ordered it. Because the ink shares model means that I need to have people like the book before they read it. Yeah. Which is an incredible leap of faith on the part of readers to say, 
yeah, I'll buy a book sight unseen from this guy who's only written one book before, and this is a completely different genre. So if anybody's going to be thanking anyone, I'm thanking you guys. And that's really interesting. The Ink Shares, those of you who haven't gone to inkshares.com and, and started looking around in there, the idea of Ink Shares, this is a crowdfunding for authors. You put out this title, A God in the Shed, and I know your work from your previous book. And I said, oh, I know JF. I'll give money to this book because I know it's going to be good. And it allows the creative people to be able to get the, the financing to get it to the mass market. And this is where our hope is. Uh, this week we're, we're celebrating the, the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. You know, she was just a person like every other person before this book got out there. And, um, JF, I, I hope this becomes the, the, blows up and becomes the, the, the wonderful growth it can so you can write full time. You've got the talent. That's, that's very kind of you to say. And I hope I have the talent. The, the weird thing is there's a lot about being a writer that I don't, I don't enjoy, but I really want to be a writer because I want to write full time because I have a lot of ideas I want to put into books and it's becoming a problem. So how do you keep track of all of your ideas? Do you walk around with a notebook? Do you, how do you keep track of all of your writing potential? I'm lucky enough that I live in the, the, the age of digital, digital media and cloud computing. So um, I, I use a platform to write called Storyist, which is all linked up to a Dropbox account, which means that whenever I have an idea, I can type it on my phone or my computer or on my iPad, and it saves to this, this document that is just this long list of ideas. And if I have an idea that's specific to a project, I can just go into that project folder and, and, and write that, the notes there. So that's how I keep organized is basically just uh, abusing the uh, the digital privilege of our age. That's fantastic. That I, I did not expect that answer. That's that's great that there is such a thing that authors, people with ideas can put them into an app that can keep track of all those for you. Well, I used to use just the Note app on my iPad and but I I realized that I don't always have the iPad with me and that's the thing. Like ideas are kind of like a dime a dozen. I have I have a document that has maybe fifty different ideas for various books, and wow. they're not all good. <laughs> That's the thing. But whenever I have an idea, I'll write it down because sometimes a bad idea can be used to supplement an okay idea, and when they're together, they become a good idea. Sure. So what was your inspiration for writing this horror novel after your first novel, The Life Engineered? Okay, well, um, it, it's funny because I just recorded another podcast, so I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I'm not. Welcome is... to my world. I'm a teacher. I say the same thing five oh, times you... a day. So, yes, welcome to my world. Say the same thing you just said to those people because we didn't hear it. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Like, just, just as a, a small tangent, if you'll allow, I, I have a huge respect for teachers because – Oh, you poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's summer, man. I, I'm drinking Zima at 8 o'clock in the morning, so don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, on, on that side. But then again, you have a profession that drives you to drinking Zima at 8 in the morning. That is true. That is I, true. I don't, like, I don't wake up wanting to drink Zima, and I'm thankful for that every day. I think many day. people do. <laughs> um, okay, so... The thing is, I actually wrote God in the Shed before I wrote The Life Engineered, at least the first draft. Really? And 
then it's when when I wrote Life Engineered and my better readers read it, they came back to me and said, "Hey, this is really uh, this is the this is the book that you should try to sell because it's it's original, it's different, it's interesting, it's got some much deeper theme than what you've explored before. You should do something with that." So that's why I got Life Engineered published first. But after that, I went back to God in the Shed and rewrote it completely and now now it's, it's it's the form it has but the idea for one came before the other so the chronology is messed up and i have a feeling that's probably true of a lot of authors where probably the books that come out don't necessarily come out in the order they were thought of or created or conceptualized as for the idea for god in the shed it started off as something completely different um, I was looking for a if, funny you mentioned J.K. Rowling earlier, but I was trying to say, OK, what would be the next Harry Potter? What would be like a twist on the sort of some of the Harry Potter tropes and, and structure that would be interesting? And one of the things I came up with would was I would love to do a mashup of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and Call of Cthulhu. Nice. And wow. And I thought, oh, that's a sick idea. Awesome. I'll do that. And halfway through trying to do the plotting, I realized I don't know enough about the American South mm-hmm. and about that part of history in the United States that I could do it justice. I need to research this more. However, while doing the plotting, I came up with like this mythology on what I wanted sort of like the – the, the, the Cthulhu analog, like the dark gods of my world's to, world to be. And I had come up with some characters and some ideas. I thought, this doesn't need to be in that setting. It doesn't need to follow that initial concept. It can be its own thing. And I can revisit the original idea later on when I feel more comfortable with. The, the problem is not that I don't know about American South. It, this is something that you can research. And it's fun to research the history of things. But the American South, especially at that time, and if you if, you, if you've read Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn recently, like you'll you'll know that it touches on certain themes about the American South history that are not necessarily light to touch on. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain maturity as a reader, as, as a writer, that you want to have before you tackle slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And I didn't feel my second book was really the place for that. So this so, one is set in St. Ferdinand, and is this village similar to where you live? Not even close, but I okay. visited a lot of villages of, of that size. In I, I could find a couple of villages in the eastern townships of Quebec that could be St. Ferdinand. They're, they're small enough. They're sort of hidden away in the woods, and there's, there's some mountains in that area and lakes. Like It's a, very, it's, it's a, it's a nice little landscape to have ancient gods and, and serial killers hang out in. And there's something about the small town feel that adds to the whole idea of this horror that is this monster that's living in this village. Yeah, it's, it's the familiarity, right? Because you have – if you have a small town, everybody knows each other. Mm-hmm. And you, if you, So every time someone disappears, every time someone dies, every time something terrible happens, it's not just happening – to some random guy in New York, which has 8 million people and nobody cares. I mean, there, there's something to be said about, though, you know, the, 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 the tragedy of faceless people dying and being and, and going unnoticed. And that's that's its own kind of horror. But the small town horror feels so much more personal because it's literally just people disappearing out of your backyard. 
It's, so, it's one thing to be one of eight million to to perish. It's another to be one out of three hundred, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, everybody knows that single person that's missing. Exactly, and and that's one of the fun things about writing the small town thing is you when people find a body, they don't just find a body. They found like they find Joe and they know Joe, they drink with Joe. And now Joe's been cut into five different pieces and each piece has been nailed to a different tree in a forest Mm -hmm. and his blood is everywhere. It's a much more visceral experience, pun intended. Especially when you add the young people in your story, you get young Audrey, who is the the very central little girl to this town, and that's a tragedy when we find that she has has died in this. Yeah, we're pointing out that's not a spoiler. It happens pretty quick. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I mentioned it. <laughs> I, I just I just don't want your listeners to think, well, if this is going to be a spoiler episode and hit pause, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty central to the story, though. Um, yeah, and it, it comes back in the sequel, and it's uh, there's there's a lot of the stuff set up in the first book that are that just like it the 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 book's supposed to be the first part of a trilogy, so it sets up the, the sort of the spine of the story and and some of the major players. So I'm 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 super eager to especially like Audrey is interesting because she's she becomes this girl kind of stuck between two realities, mm. and so I'm I'm very interested in how I'm going to be exploring that in the next two books. That is very Twin Peaks of you. Are you watching Twin Peaks right now? I'm not, and it pisses me off because I don't. <laughs> I am a gargantuan Twin Peaks fan. I love Twin Peaks. Like I, I live, I live my life by the same precepts as Albert. I, <laughs> I, there's everything about Twin Peaks speaks to me in in the best possible way. Because but you got it, this there, book tour to worry about. <laughs> well, I'm not really book touring because that's way more expensive than I than I can afford. But I do, I do need to do some promotion. I need to be on top of the social media. I need to prepare the campaign to finance. And fund uh, and, and get the sequel to Life Engineered published. So I'm extremely busy. Uh, Twin Peaks, I don't think is very easy to get a hold of in Canada right now, okay. unless you're part of like a bunch of different streaming services I don't have. Or a secret society. Or secret societies. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not part of the club enough. So I'm, it's, it's, I'm having the same problem with it that I had with Stranger Things, where I, which I haven't even seen yet, where I want to see it. I need to see it because it's probably going to inform me on where the state of that particular type of fiction is right now in, in, uh, in, uh, in the industry. But I can't, I can't squeeze out the time to do it. Well, in fact, we were talking about that as we were preparing for you. And uh, I said, uh, for Stranger Things, Spielberg-esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, young young people. Mm-hmm. This this move between a couple of worlds. There there is something uh, very Stranger Things ish about your work. Yeah, those of you who like Stranger Things, you should really look at J.F. Debeau and his God in the Shed because yeah, there is that that young person figuring out about this monster element to Stranger Things that is very similar to your work in God in the Shed. Yeah, and I, I think I think uh, Stranger Things is more fun though than a horror. No, yeah, uh, uh, the the your book and it are very similar, so you would you would it, see very similar in a, in a good way. things. They, they, they echo each other. Yeah. There, there's a good way of saying it, and um, much like ET. Um, Stranger Things has a very family-friendly part of it. That's enough mystery, a mystery, maybe poltergeist-ish mm-hmm. 
in the sense of um, the right amount of, uh, of spookiness to action. Anyway, there's, very, very good. There's more blood in a God in the Shed, but it's all not visual, so I can get through thinking about these awful scenes that you've written. Uh, in the Stranger Things, there's more of a liquid that's not blood that they interact with. Sure. So Ew. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you know, it's it's not blood. Blood has a different thing for us humans. So yeah, it's it's um, we we like to keep it inside. <laughs> it's better. It's better on the inside. So reading your book, this is a great summer read. It would be a great October scary book read. It reminds me a lot of all of my Stephen King books that I've read over the last 40 years. Were you influenced by Stephen King? I, I would be lying if I said no. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's possible to be a horror writer and say, oh, no, no, See, Stephen King has had no impact on, on me at all. I've never read Stephen King. No, if, if you write horror, chances are you read horror. If you read horror, you've read Stephen King. Mm -hmm. um, Stephen King was probably – I remember – I have very fond memories of reading my very first uh, horror books were Stephen King books. Uh, I read – Tommyknocker and Cujo, which are absolutely hor horrible, terrible books, but uh, I've also like read Misery and uh, Needful Things, and which are amazing. Um, so yeah, no, definitely Stephen King has had some influence on on my writing. I like to think if if, if there is an author I look up to for what I'm hoping to achieve thematically, though. Is would be more Clive Barker, and I'm not necessarily talking about Clive Barker as in Hellraiser, but Clive Barker, uh, the, the the Great and Secret Show, Magica, Galilee, some of his is more recent and maybe more, um, I think lyrical work, more prosaic work, okay. so less less bloody and more weird. You achieve that with a God in the Shed. There's a lot of weird going on, and there's a lot of bloody, and I love the idea of how the children react to these horrific situations, how they take control of this investigation in a lot of ways. We, you've got a uh, sheriff who's trying to solve this problem, and you've got these kids who are trying to solve it on a Scooby-Doo level as well. I like to think that they're very incompetent Scooby-Doo, though. <laughs> like, they, they have so little to work with. Yeah. So there's... There's no really moment where they're going to unmask an old man and say and point the finger at him. Is there a hidden metaphor of good and evil going on in your writing? Is, is there something that we we need to know about you, JF? Is there a good and evil <laughs> going on? Am, am I a serial killer that's just using <laughs> horror writing as a, as a way to, to stay my hand and, and control the voice in my head? No, not at all. <laughs> And if I, you I, were, I, you would still say no. I would not admit in a podcast that I have just freezers full of dead people and on, on my property. Um, no, I, it, it's weird because on in a very real way, I'm not a huge horror fan. Like I don't like I don't like jump scares at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a bit of a wimp. Um, gore bores me very quickly. Like there's 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 a couple of things like certain types of body horror that will just creep me out but being creeped out is not scary so i i like i like really psychological horror i like horror that just makes me think um i like the idea of watching a movie and walking out of the movie and then being scared because i'm starting to rationalize some of the themes of the movie 
rather than just having a bunch of jump scares over and over again because there's a dude with a mask and a machete. I agree um, completely. So, Literature is is way more interesting than, hey, look what we can do with a bucket of blood. I agree with you completely. That said, I love an Ash versus Evil Dead where they just are playing with buckets of blood. That's pretty much where I stand with that. Like, not, not that there's no fun to be had with uh, with a, a good slasher movie, but I don't know. If you look at like the good slasher movies are the ones that have like a huge dose of humor. You think you think of a mm-hmm. your yeah. Evil Dead and your Army of Darkness, right? Like the blood is there as a a prop to to sort of slapsticky comedy that mm-hmm. involves blood instead of instead of a banana peel. I agree. So and that's fine. That's that's its own type of entertainment. But is it scary? No, not not exactly. Not the same, right? Exactly. So I'm one of the things, and this is why I like Clive Barker is I like the idea of confusing the line between beauty and horror. I like to to you know bring up that question, like okay, well this like blur blur also the line between between good and evil. Like okay, well this this character is evil, but why? Everybody has a motivation, like. Nobody wakes up in the morning saying, okay, well, I'm going to snidely whiplash my way through today and be really <laughs> evil. And even when you read a lot about – and oh, boy, do I read a lot about serial killers and, <laughs> and other types of murderers. But when, when you read about the, these, these guys, no matter how sick they are, like there's this line where they go from people who, who are – they're murderers out of circumstances and they're murderers out of weird circumstances. And then it's mental disease. Very rarely is it a personal evil, a desire to kill for its own sake. It's, it's linked to some, to, to hallucinations, to, to paraphilias, to all sorts of different problems. So when you start looking at the causes for evil, you find so much complexity and then when you start bringing that complexity to light and you put it in ambiguous places, it, it, it creates this uncomfortable zone where you have you start sympathizing with killers and monsters. And that's that to me is what's what horror is all about when you don't know exactly you don't know exactly where the moral line is anymore. And you have to start asking yourself some pretty uncomfortable questions. That's a great point. That is awesome. I, I, I now enjoy your book even more. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Yes. What, what advice would you give to aspiring authors? What What is the first step to, to putting together a book like this? Oh, uh, write your book. <laughs> so uh, here's the thing. Like, the biggest hurdle to writing a book is writing a book. Uh, mm-hmm. most Because a lot of aspiring writers, and I, I do hang out with some local writers. We have our little clubs and things and, and communities. And the biggest thing is not finding a great idea. Like there are, there's no more great ideas. You're not going to have an idea that stand on its own. Nobody cares. I hate to say it to writers because they get so offended, but nobody cares about your great ideas because <laughs> there are lines of people in, in Hollywood with great ideas trying to pitch them and having them rejected. Great ideas are a dime a dozen. Everybody has great ideas. Your great idea is worthless and then sometimes say yeah but like the whole idea like of harry potter that's a great idea no it's not a great idea like the idea of someone going to a wizard school isn't great the execution of that idea how jk rowling sat down and wrote awesome characters with depth that really translated to a wide audience and did a good job with a 
normal idea, that's what's great. And that's what you need to do. And the only way to do that, the only way to write well is like anything. Like you want to be a good basketball player. Well, you're not just going to sit down with a bunch of books about basketball or watch a bunch of basketball games. You're going to take a ball. You're going to go out and you're going to dribble and you're going to go throw hoops. That's what basketball is, right? I, yes, think, I think that you described it well. Yeah. I, I Chip, think, please, basketball. I think, I think you hit it. The, the ability yeah. to, to go out there so, and so work on your craft. Run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, no, that's the thing. Like, and, and writing is like any skill. You're going to get good at writing by, yes, you're going to re- read books about writing and you're going to read books, but you're also going to need to write. So write a book. And it's going to be a terrible book. That's another error that a lot of aspiring writers want to do is that they look at they look at, say, J.K. Rowling or, or Andy Weir and they go, oh, this person wrote a book and that book was a success. That's what I want to do. I just want to write a book and have that book be my ticket. And that's not how it works. These people are they're, they're exceptions to the rule. They won a lottery. Most people in most jobs, including writing, they write a book that is terrible and then they write a second book that's slightly less terrible and then a third book and a fourth book and eventually they write a book that's kind of pretty good and that's the book that actually gets published. It's the same thing for me. I mean, Life Engineered was, I think, the sixth book I wrote. Got in the Shed, the first draft, was the fifth book I wrote. I have a small collection of other books that I wrote, including a very, very bad vampire book that was my first one. That no one will ever read because they're garbage. But those were my practice runs. So you want to be a writer? You want? Well, no. You want to be a writer? Uh, g- hire a ghostwriter. Give him an idea. Have him write your book and be good at marketing it and sell that. If you want to write books, then just sit down and write a goddamn book. <laughs> nice. So has Inkshares helped out with this process? What? Where does Inkshares come in as as the publisher on this? It's it's weird because they're a very small company. Like there are five or six people, but they very much embody what I would call a second generation traditional publisher. Like traditional publishing is very much steeped into uh, tradition, if you will. But they, they they have a process, and this process works, but it's starting to work less and less because it doesn't take into account some of the more, more modern marketing dynamics. Um, you guys know this probably very well because you do a podcast, but you understand that we live in a day and age where community is everything mm-hmm. for any, anyone that wants to create content. Your first goal is to build a community around that content. Right. You want to, you, you do this through consistency, through quality and through basically building the communities and the publishing industry has so far very much ignored that. They, they, they approach writers in the sense that, oh, if you already have readers, then bring them on board. But if you want to build your community, yeah, bring that on board. But the way they still do things for the most part is you submit a manuscript or you submit a, a, an, an idea or a partial. And then there's this one person or a small team of per- people that goes through this slush pile and they make a personal judgment call based on, on on their expertise, let's not turn this down, these people read tons of different ideas, so they kind of have an instinct for what is good and what is not uh, to a certain degree, but they also have their personal taste that runs into, comes into play, and they choose what they will ask a full manuscript of and eventually get published. 
So it's it's a very narrow funnel. Meanwhile, Inkshares takes a different approach where essentially they don't have this reader, they don't have this team of choosers, and they let writers basically prove their chops in the public arena. So the idea is you have an idea for a book, you have a book written, you have a bunch of chapters, and you put this online and you say, come at me, bro. And basically you try you you prove that you can a promote a book which is super important like even if you traditionally publish you're still the one promoting your book you're still the one who is going to be making phone calls and getting in touch with people and trying to organize your own signings unless you're one of these exceptions so the test if you're capable of doing that by bringing in readers but also is your material interesting enough that you can get at least 750 people to say i will pay for this book that's right. actually putting money on the table you're, you're voting with your wallet to, to decide do i want to see this book and it, it once you've proven that ink shares they take the money that they made from those 750 pre-order and then they take a chunk of their own money a huge chunk of their own money <laughs> and they publish it they assign you an editor and a line editor and a cover designer and they start putting your book into into catalogs with ingram and they start contacting uh, different they start trying to secure secondary market rights like audiobooks and international rights and they try to put your book in front of in front of uh, people in hollywood like they basically they do what both an a combination of an agent manager and publisher would do ink shared does it all in-house and they do an amazing job i mean forgotten the shed i got blurbs from anthony cipriano the creator of base motel from crypt tv from fangoria like they really went after people that are in the horror industry got my book in their hands and got them to read it and that is really hard to get busy people to read a 400-page book and then come back with comments on it. That's awesome. In fact, I'm going to mention this. When I was reading your book, I found myself reading it out loud. Your book was the perfect voice for my head. And I just, I just, I, I love just reading it out loud because it seemed to slow it down and give it that the creepiness I was looking for. So should we expect an audiobook real soon? Uh, yeah, we have an audiobook deal for Gun in the Shed. Um, Beautiful. We, we we don't have all the details yet. Like we we're we're still like kind of in pre-production, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I expect that we're going to start moving on that fairly quickly. I was really hoping that they would release on the same day, but I mean, it's that's the kind of thing that's kind of very difficult to coordinate because Vincent obviously, Price. like Price, Vincent Price's schedule is really packed, and getting uh, him to read would be really <laughs> difficult. Don't, Really, I don't know if price would be the voice for Gun Shed. I'm really not good at picking authors, uh, not authors like voice actors for for books. Um, I'm super thrilled with who they picked for uh, for Life Engineered. Yeah. She, a Amy Landon, did an amazing job with that book. I'm super happy with the results of that. Excellent. So if if you haven't listened, if you haven't read Life Engineered because you're waiting for audiobook version, well, it's out now and it's amazing. Fantastic. Where can our listeners find more from you and your writing? Uh, the best place to go, and it, it'll be better once I actually clean it up, is uh, my webpage, jeffdubo.com. You can also go to inkshares, uh, inkshares.com and look for Jeff Dubo there. Or uh, actually, like the, the best thing to do, no, you know what? The best thing to do, just go to jeffdubo.com/books. 
scroll down, get on my newsletter, and that way you can. I'll, I'll be sending out information. I have I have a, the campaign for the sequel for Life Engineered coming up, and any important news. Like I don't use my newsletter to spam people much, so it's only when I have important stuff that. And but it's, it's the easiest easiest way to keep up with all the the garbage I'm doing. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. you got two books, The Life Engineered and A God in the Shed. They're both available on our Amazon store, amazon.toomuchscrolling.com. Thank you again, Jeff DeBow, and uh, we'll hear more from you soon, question mark? I'm hoping so. I mean, God in the Shed got option for a television show, so maybe one day we'll get some news on this, and then that would be cool. I mean, it's not going to happen, but that would be neat. I, I can't wait for the day that you are so big that you forget about us and you don't come back on the show. That would be wonderful. <laughs> um, no, no. Here's the thing. I've, I've made a promise to myself that I will always, like, the people who have supported me when I started will always have priority for me. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. Always a blast. Brings us to our appetite, our app of the week, and it's another one of those weeks, Chip. Balls. Where I turn to my kids and I go, boys, what's your app of the week? And my 11-year-old goes... Balls. Balls, Dad. Balls. Balls. (laughs) All right. I guess I'm raising boys. (laughs) This game is called Balls. It's by Catch App. You You might know Catch App as the company that made 2048 back in 2014. Those of you who play mindless video games on your on your portable device, 2048's a fun one. Now this one's kind of like Breakout. It is very similar to Breakout. You are throwing a ball up towards a block, and the block needs to be hit by the ball in order for it to go away. And then as the mindless Breakout continues, you see that the blocks need to be hit four times and five times and six times. But in this game, you get more than one ball. You get a whole slew of balls by the third round where you're throwing a hundred balls at the block. Sort of like juggling. Sort of like juggling. I'll I'll see your juggling and raise you a uh, mindless lacrosse bouncing across a room off of a wall. That must be addictive enough to have people just continue to play. This is a huge game. Yes. Catch App was acquired by Ubisoft, which is one of the bigger video game creators in September 2016. So this this is they're making money on these games whether you like them or not. There there's money to be made with these mindless handheld devices. And you're in the car for a long period of time. The kids this is the type of things that kids would play. A little bit or, of competition between my boys on this one. Or if you're an adult, it's something you play in between, you know, lunch breaks or whatever it is. Yeah, I'd rather go to to the website and learn more. But that's me. That's me. I'm just an education kind of guy. Balls. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Brings us to our now the news. We've got some things happening this week. The Gong Show is coming to ABC. I'm going to clap my hand like Chuck Barris. All right. Chuck Barris <laughs> is not there, but we've got Tommy Maitland. Tommy Maitland is a British comedian who's going to be the host of The Gong Show Supposedly on Thursday. A, a famous guy. Famous. Very famous Tommy Maitland. Looks a lot like Mike Myers. He looks a lot like Mike Myers. This is, this is a very interesting way to present material they're they're looking at these old 70s shows you might see the commercials they're bringing back all the old 70s shows and mike myers is going to be the host of this but he's not going to be mike myers he's going to be this british guy it's just a great time to have a uh, play and, and obviously the summer the the um abc and, and any other networks looking to have you know to play during this this time that's usually not thought of as television time that's right the, 
the change, you know, when we were growing up, we had the first run of shows during the fall, and then they would rerun those shows in the summer. They would just be the same shows over again. They don't do that anymore. No, and, and a show that did not do well in the fall may be brought back and, and given a second life. Yeah. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. There's there's new productions for the summer now, very specific summer shows, and be, most of that's because we have access to all of those back catalog of shows on the internet now. Sure. So it's it's different, and the Kong show is going to be interesting. Bring out the birthday cake, Steve. Harry Potter is going to be 20 years old on Monday. That's right. Isn't that crazy? That is amazing. So if we think about our youth... Now, now going back further, I'm sure you could find other uh, examples, but for our youth, Star Wars mm-hmm. was pretty big. It Star came out, Wars? came out in 1977. It did? And for young people that came after us, Harry Potter basically served as their Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So J.K. Rowling um, d- developed this. It was printed. Um, very modest um, background. Mm-hmm. And, uh, th- I mean, it took the world by storm. In fact, as much as we like to throw around uh, Star Wars slang so everybody can know it, it's amazing how many people can throw around Harry Potter and there's like a common language. You can wink at each other. Oh yeah, there's there is a definitely a community piece to Harry Potter. You go down to Orlando and go to Universal and see the whole Harry Potter world down there. It is significant and there are a lot of people who dress up to go to Harry Potter world. They buy their wands, they drink their butterbeer and they exist in this world just as much as I went and existed in the Star Wars land. 20 points for Gryffindor. <laughs> There are actually people who are running around playing Quidditch right now. That's a thing. They created this sport and found a way to play it without flying and without the broomsticks being magical. (laughs) Harry Potter has taken the world by storm. There's no doubt about that. Amazon has taken the world by storm in a lot of ways, and they have purchased Whole Foods this week. Isn't that amazing? I, I was surprised by this. I did not see this coming. Well, while I'm surprised by it, um, I, I, it's it's very logical. I agree. Um, Jeff Bezos, who's the owner uh, or the CEO, founder of Amazon, and John Mackey, who is the founder of Whole Foods, they share a lot of values together. Uh, they really wanted to be disruptors. They wanted to change how the industry, uh, their industries, were put together. Uh, Bezos started with books. Mackey started with food, mm-hmm. um, and so. Uh, Mackey's been under a lot of pressure from his board and, and some some stockholders, and uh, this is a way for Mackey to get some space, uh, and also to use the expertise of Amazon to potentially drive down prices. Mm-hmm. And for for something like Amazon, what they really can do is they can get these beautiful buyers, these uh, this this uh, wonderful way. If you've ever been to a Whole Foods, they do have just a beautiful presentation. And uh, I, th- I think they're one of the leaders as far as the, the movement towards what we're going to say, better food or, or more defined food. So at one point we needed calories, and so and we were all starving. Uh, that, was, that was most of history, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, then we got grocery stores, and grocery stores have been wonderful for us. But we also have had um, companies come in and... And the obesity that we have right now is probably from cheap calories that we can get available from right. sugar and, and any number of things. And Whole Foods was that, that trend to move us back towards 
uh, rethinking our foods. Um, should we spend more money for our foods or uh, whether we wanted to get things that we potentially could say are better for us? I, I think this is a natural merger. Uh, I think that uh, Mackey is going to continue to lead. I think there's an opportunity for them to set up smaller distribution centers. Distribution might be the key to this whole conversation because Amazon's really good at distribution. They can get you your product within 24 hours in some cases. If they can make that happen with Whole Foods, if they can set up a, a convenience store level Whole Foods near us, for instance. Well, you've already seen an example of what Amazon is thinking of a modern grocery store. Mm -hmm. And there are prepared foods there, and there are some foods that are not. And imagine that that grocery store that's local to us um, becomes like the distribution center for an area. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to may, maybe have fewer stores um, and more uh, you know, a single distribution center for a market and um, smaller, more targeted stores. So our community could use something like this. But even beyond that, distribution could be delivery. We could see a fleet of trucks like UPS delivering food from, from these. And, and then we have drones and any number of All of sorts things. of things. There's all sorts of opportunities here for these companies. This is a good merger, I think. I, I, I endorse this merger. This is not a Zima. This is not Zima merging with Coca-Cola. No, no, here we go, here we go. There you go. There's your Jolly Rancher merged mm. with Zima. Delicious. Oh, let me tell you, it's, it's starting to melt at the bottom of it. The it candy? Is? Oh, yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> there, there is another story. A really interesting thing has happened. An amateur soccer team has had a Cinderella run. They, they are winning some games. All right, so th there's, a, there's a tournament going on, a soccer tournament going on in the United States, and that's uh, pretty much any club can probably qualify for it. I think there's 99 clubs that have initially started. This is the U.S. Open Cup, so anybody can be a part of that. So your community team uh, versus, you know, for here, here in Chicago, the Chicago Fire, that type of thing. Okay. All right, and uh, obviously at some point, Somebody will get lucky and have a nice run. So we have a discount liquor store sponsored team. A liquor store sponsored team. Out of Gurney, Maryland. Hey, want to go, want to go play some soccer? Uh, hun, hun. Hun, want to go play some soccer? All right. So anyway, they, they, um, they start whoever shows up on time. Uh huh. Um, uh, they do not scout the teams they're playing. Uh, and, uh, they, they beat the Richmond kickers. They, be, they beat, the Chicago United FC, which is a local Club. team here. Okay. Um, and then they had to go play DC United, which is a major league soccer team. They ended up losing, but they took a one nothing one nil lead, one one zero lead against the DC United. Wow. And uh it is just it's it's one of those things where it's just like a bunch of guys. Yeah. And you can think about it, there's a whole bunch of people who moved to the, this country. Mm-hmm. And they, they played soccer somewhere. They put a, together an improbable run. And uh, I'm sorry they lost, but it was a fun story while it lasted. And my favorite part of it is, is in the report, the guy says, they start whoever can get off of work that day. <laughs> that's great. This is, that's a Cinderella story to, to the nth degree. That's, that's wonderful. Good job, everyone. I, 
I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week? Yeah, absolutely. We can come back next week. We want to thank author Jeff DeBow for coming in and talking to us about his book, A God in the Shed. It's available on our Amazon store, amazon.toomuchscrolling.com. It's a good book. You should really pick it up, especially if you're looking for a summer, scary, Stephen King kind of horror novel. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, we're going to have other books that are also going to become available. We're going to be having some other other interviews coming up so don't worry uh, you check this one out and then we'll have some more coming yeah our summer reading list is really lighting up we're having some great fun talking to some great authors if you need more information give us a call or a text our phone number is 805-4104-TMS our website is too much scrolling.com you can send us an email too much scrolling at gmail.com we're on twitter and instagram and facebook we're on itunes and stitcher and tune in radio and every day of the week you can find all the news that you need on our news site news.toomuchscrolling.com i want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hassenflow. We'll see you in the future.